This is Solomon speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, and these are the words that he pens. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen. It is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For even dreams, or for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one whom you must fear. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our great God stands forever. You may be seated. Four things, I think, in the text that Solomon wants us to be on guard concerning. Uh, number one, write this down. would encourage you to take notes. Guard your steps, Solomon says. Guard your steps. Uh, find verse one there in your Bible. Look back there again. Solomon writes, guard your steps when you go to the house of God, or guard your steps when you go to the temple. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are doing is evil. It's evil. And Solomon tells us to guard our steps. Verse 1 here has to do with how we are to approach God in worship, how we are to come before God in the act of worship. Uh, this phrase, guard your steps, refers to our demeanor or our preparedness as it pertains to worship. And the whole context here of verse 1, and really the following verses, is the temple in Jerusalem. But what Solomon says in these verses, I would submit to you, applies to any place that has been set aside for the worship of God. Even though God's presence does not dwell in our church buildings in the same way that it dwelt in the Old Testament temple, there is still a warning that we need to heed and hear from this text today. Why is that? Well, the corporate worship of God is the highest ministry of the church, and it must, capital M-U-S-T, must flow from devoted hearts and yielded wills. Friends, God takes no pleasure in flippant religious motions. God takes no pleasure in flippant religious motions. Worship is one of our primary joys and responsibilities, but all too often we approach worship, I do at times, with a bit of a casual attitude. And we judge its value by what we get out of it. The wise worshiper comes before God carefully and with due attention. You see, true worship is God-focused. Uh, true worship is, it d does not uh, commence uh, with the expectation of what do I get out of it, though it is very clear biblically that we are beneficiaries of true worship. God grows us, he shapes us, he sanctifies us, he molds us, he encourages us, he binds up the brokenhearted, 
He causes us to see who he is more clearly, his nature, his character, and his attributes, such that we can worship him more accurately. We are beneficiaries of worship, but worship is not primarily about us. It's primarily about who he is. True worship is God-focused. J.I. Packer says this concerning worship. He says, worship in the Bible is the due response of rational creatures to the self-revelation of their creator. God is self-revealing. He has revealed himself in nature, and he has revealed himself more clearly and more specifically in his word. And we see the word became flesh and dwelt among us as we look at Jesus. As we look at Jesus, we see the self-revelation of our creator, God. A Packer goes on and he says, it's an honoring and glorifying of God by gratefully offering back to him all of his good gifts and all the knowledge of his greatness and his graciousness that he has given us. See, everything that he gives us, we turn around and we lay right back at his feet. Not only our material wealth, but just his goodness and his grace. We turn around and we adore him. We thank him. You know, I think over and over and over in the Old Testament, you would see Old Testament saints uh, who when God would reveal himself in some uh, unique way, uh, those individuals would build an altar to the Lord. And that altar was oftentimes a small uh, pile of rocks. Archaeologists are still uncovering these today. Uh, And that individual would name that altar The Lord is good. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is kind. God has has seen us. God has worked on our behalf. And they would name that altar that. And I would submit to you that we're, we're not going to the backyard to pile up rocks to build an altar, but you can build an altar in your heart. You can build an altar in your mind of who God is and what he's done. And we worship him. We worship him for who he is even the knowledge of his greatness and his graciousness that he has given us. Worship involves praising God for what he is, thanking him for what he has done, desiring that he himself gets more glory. Learning from God is foundational to worship. That's why we, that's why we study our Bibles, right? I mean, it is a sad day when individuals enter into churches around the globe and they do not don their Bible. They don't open their Bible. No, we want to be very Bible-centric here at the chapel. Why? Because that's how God's revealed himself. If we're getting our information from anywhere else, we're, we're building an image of God that has been handed to us from the culture or from our own imagination. God has revealed himself. And he takes that very seriously. He also takes how we respond to him and worship very seriously. And we cannot respond to him rightly unless we know what he has said. What he has communicated about himself in his word. So learning is foundational to worship. Attention to God's word of instruction honors him. Inattention, on the other hand, is insult. Acceptable worship requires clean hands and a pure heart and a willingness to express devotion and adoration. And so Solomon is looking us in the eye here in this text, and he's saying, watch out. Be careful. You need to know that coming before God is serious business. It's dangerous to approach God thinking that he is either unaware or that he does not really care what's happening in your hearts. 
We all come in here on Sunday mornings and we put the pretty little facade on. We smile at each other. We shake hands. We greet each other. It's standard question, standard answer. How are you? I'm doing great. And maybe that's true. Maybe that's right. There's nothing wrong with that intrinsically. But what we do need to know is that God is concerned with the condition of our heart. How have we come? How have we approached him in worship? Solomon says, guard your steps. Be mindful. Be thoughtful. Be prepared. Don't come in flippantly. Don't come in carelessly. Obedience to the word of God in private prepares the believer for participation in public worship. Let me rewind that sentence. It's important. Obedience to the word of God in private prepares the believer for participation in corporate worship. Are you prepared? An hour and a half or so a week we spend in here reading the word, singing the word, praying the word, preaching the word. 166 and a half other hours in the week, how are we preparing ourselves to return once again? What a sweet spirit of praise I would submit to you might prevail in our churches if we all arrived prepared. Prepared. Not not hitting the alarm button at whatever time you've set it for, dragging yourself out of bed and just carting your flesh to church because you think it's the right thing to do. Now, let, let, let me say, uh, we, we cannot live in light of our emotions, okay? And so there are some mornings where it is best to just get ourselves here and let our hearts be kindled by the word of God. Let our hearts be set aflame by the word of God. I understand that. Uh, if, if we live by emotion only or by feeling only, there might be many Sundays which we did not even arrive. But the question remains, what are we doing to prepare ourselves during the week for the time when we assemble together to corporately worship the Lord? Solomon moves right from the posture of worship in general to the posture of worship in specific terms here. And what Solomon does is he highlights that we need to come before God with ears that are wide open and ready to hear. And so, guard your steps, verse 1a. Uh, look at the second phrase there in your Bible. Uh, Solomon says, draw near to listen. Draw near to listen. Come prepared. Come thoughtful. Come ready, but come ready to listen. Listen. Draw near to God and listen. You see, in worship, the first task of the worshiper is to draw near to listen. And the idea here in the text is to listen not just for the sake of cramming information in our cerebral cortex. The purpose here is listening for the sake of obeying the divine voice. Now, I don't mean audibly. Obeying what God has said. Over and over and over in the Bible, you get this phrase, thus says the Lord. God has spoken. Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, God has spoken. The question is, are we listening? And more specifically, are we listening with the intention to obey? 
James tells us, right, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. I've probably given this to you before, but let me, let me give you just a, uh, a, uh, a way that you can remember that. This goes all the way back. If you, if you wonder if church camps and Awana and all that has lasting effect on your life, uh, I remember James 1, 2, 2, like a train, like James 1, 2, 2. Uh, listen, hey, I, I know it sounds elementary, and I don't, that, that's in no way meaning to be trite, but that is seared on my mind. James 1, 2, 2. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. I don't want to be like the man who looks at his face intently in the mirror and then goes away and quickly forgets what he looks like. We do not want to be that man. We do not want to be that woman. We do not want to be that teenager or that young person. The same language here, Solomon says, draw near to listen. The same language is employed in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 27, when the people of Israel say to Moses, so they say to him, they say, go near and hear all the Lord our God will say to you. And then you come back and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you. You go meet with the Lord and let the Lord speak to you. And then you come tell us everything that he has said. Why? Well, Deuteronomy 5.27 concludes with this phrase, so that we can hear and do it. In the very next chapter... Deuteronomy chapter 6, probably a familiar passage to most of you. Moses says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your might. And then he goes on and he says, Teach it to your children as you walk on the way. Post it on the doorpost. Put it everywhere. Why? So that you can hear it. So that you can hear it. So that you can heed it. Listening is very important. The ear is the Christian's primary sense organ. Listening to what God has said is our primary spiritual discipline. Good questions to ask ourselves as we prepare for worship are these. Am I ready to listen to God? Have I come ready to listen to God? Not for the pastor to say something that I like or that I agree with or some pithy, tweetable, uh, YouTube-worthy, Facebook-worthy quote. Have I come prepared to listen to him? It's a good question to ask. Another question is, uh, is my heart open to spiritual instruction? Are my ears attentive to the message that I will hear? You know, it's interesting, Paul tells us in Romans 10, 17, he says, faith comes by what? Say it. Hearing. Hearing. Hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. The trouble is, is that it's hard for us to listen. It's hard for me to listen. There are so many other voices that clamor for our attention. That's why Psalm 46, 10, you probably have this memorized, right? Be still and know that I am God. It's easier said than done. It's easier said than done. Silence is undervalued in the noisy, intrusive world in which we inhabit. Constant traffic and chatter surround us in our public spaces. And where these are mercifully quieted for a short time, uh, that quiet, that still quiet moment is oftentimes filled by music and internet and television and video games and podcasts and movies and the like. We struggle with silence. Silence. 
even when we enter a quiet place for worship, the surrounding culture still rings in our ears. Evidence actually suggests that we're afraid of silence, discomforted by it, and unable to deal with it. And so we feel this compulsive draw to noise. I don't even really care what it is. I have to be hearing something. I just need something in the background, even if it's white noise. As a result, we find ourselves in a quiet moment. It's easy to let our minds wander, but it's hard for us to hear from God. And that's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. Solomon, presumably in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, says, Every word of God proves true. We need to hear God's word with the eager expectancy with which Mary, who sat at Jesus' feet and hung on his very word, listened to him. Remember, everybody else in the house was busy. Martha's doing good things. She's preparing for the Lord. Here you have Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, hanging on his every word, just to hear him speak. We need to hear God's word with the faith of Peter, who in John chapter 6, when asked by Jesus if he wanted to depart with the masses after Jesus had taught that he was the bread of life, Peter responded with these words, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It's interesting to connect the listening of God and the holiness of God. That is a theme uh, with which if you mark it down, you will see it pervasively throughout Scripture. We listen to God because God is holy. He's other than. He's different. He is set apart. And so we listen to him with humble and contrite hearts. The consequences of failing to attentively listen to God's word instead of offering him a sacrifice of praise is that we end up offering him the sacrifice of fools instead. Instead. So here's the progression in verse 1 here. We draw near uh, to God. We draw near specifically to listen to him so that we offer him praise and worship that is acceptable to him instead of offering the sacrifice of fools. Look there at verse 1 again. Look at the last phrase there. They draw near to listen, or sorry, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Well, what is a foolish sacrifice? What is a foolish sacrifice? Well, I would submit to you that the sacrifice of fools is careless observance of religion, unattached to any genuinely Godward movement of the soul. It's, it's any response to God that's enacted out of custom or because it's what I'm supposed to do or peer pressure or habit. That's the sacrifice of fools. It's worship with a disengaged heart. I'm just here because I'm supposed to. Offerings in the hands without obedient faith in the heart becomes the sacrifice of fools. You see, only a fool thinks that he or she can deceive God. God cannot be mocked. You can't deceive him because he sees right through our facade. He sees to the heart. He sees the thoughts and the intentions and the motives. 
The word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword, and it pierces, it divides, it splays open our hearts. Solomon says the fool thinks that he's doing good, but in reality he's doing evil, and God hates it. God hates it. This worshiper has become so accustomed to playing charades, going through the motions that he or she doesn't even recognize the hypocrisy of their actions. In the Old Testament, everything about the temple, remember that's the context here. Solomon is, is watching individuals come and go through the temple. And in the Old Testament, everything about the temple was designed to help the worshiper realize that God is not like us. The temple was a majestic building, and it was majestic purposefully to teach God's people that they had a majestic God. It dwarfed you in size in order to teach you that God is bigger than you, so much more than you can take in or comprehend. God is infinite, and we are finite. God is massive, and we are small in comparison. God resides in heaven, and here are we on earth like grasshoppers, like grasshoppers. The temple was meant to make you look up, to see how small you were. But if you forgot to look up and you just started looking around, then you simply get in the habit of bringing your sacrifice and forgetting about your heart. And you soon forget that God sees everything. You see, it's a tragedy for you to bring yourself without cultivating and bringing your heart as well. Many, many people bring themselves to church, but they leave their hearts at home. You must remember that whenever we assemble for worship, we enter the presence of a holy God who has gathered his people to hear his holy word, and God takes this seriously. Consider Nadab and Abihu who offered unholy fire or Ananias and Sapphira, who kept back some of the profit they had made on the sale of their property and thus lied about the amount of money that they had contributed to the Lord. You see, both of these dreadful acts of judgment took place on the doorstep of God's house. And we consider the holiness of God and we compare it to our unholy, oftentimes, worship. It's a wonder that any of us are still alive. Praise God for his perfect obedience on our behalf. Praise God that he crucified, crushed, and hung his son on Calvary's cross for us. The one who obeyed perfectly, the one whose worship was always pleasing to the Lord, has been crushed for us. Praise God for that. Otherwise, there is no way that we could come with clean hands and a pure heart. We can only come with clean hands and a pure heart as we come through the finished, completed, perfected, resurrected, victorious work of King Jesus. To offer anything else outside of him is unacceptable and displeasing to the Lord. David reminds us in Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise and so when you come to worship, do you come as a matter of habit and religious ritual, or do you come to listen and obey, having spent 166 and a half other hours in the week cultivating your heart? Do we do that imperfectly? Absolutely we do. Do distractions abound? You betcha they do. 
But are we intentional in the week to preparing our hearts so that when we come, we can guard our steps? So that when we come, we're ready to listen, to hear, so that we might obey, so that we don't inadvertently offer the sacrifice of fools. Careless, half-baked attendance. Number two, write this down. Guard your words. Guard your words. Solomon first wanted us to guard our steps. Now he tells us to guard our words. Look back there at your Bible, specifically verses 2 and 3. This is what Solomon says. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. Well, if verse 1 has to do with how we are to approach God in worship, verses 2 and 3, consequently, have to do with careless prayer. Careless prayer. Solomon says, don't be too quick to just tell God what you think he wants to hear. When we pray, we tend to think, give me your, your attention here, just in case you may have checked out, right in the middle of the very message where I'm telling you to listen. Hey, the, the, our adversary is crafty and cunning, okay? Right at the moment where you think you're engaged and you're thinking it's, oh, did I leave the coffee pot on this morning? Or your little one next to you is squirming and it's, listen, listen. Before you know it, you know, we're disengaged. When we pray, we tend to think that it's like talking into a spiritual microphone with God listening on the other end through a heavenly set of earphones. But in fact, when we pray, God is listening to our hearts with a spiritual stethoscope. Just like a doctor who listens to your physical heart and respiration, so God listens in to what we cannot see. And don't forget that God's stethoscope is always working. That he sees the heart behind the actions and the heart behind the words. He's, he's, not, he's not content with our pretense. He's not content with, with empty words. He sees, looks at, listens to, and is concerned with the heart. And so Solomon tells us here, number one, don't be rash. Thinking about guarding your words here, don't be rash. Do not be rash with your mouth or let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. God is in heaven. Don't forget that. You and I are on earth. You see, the secret to acceptable prayer, again, is a prepared heart. It's a prepared heart. Careless words are a reflection of the inner life. Uh, friends, we've said this many times before in many other passages using different language, but your mouth and my mouth is the release valve for the contents of your heart. That's Luke 6.45, out of an overflow of the heart, the, the mouth speaks. And Jesus said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good fruit, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil or out of an overflowing or the bubbling or the welling forth of the heart, the mouth speaks. Solomon connects the need to be thoughtful in our prayers to the fact that God is in heaven and we are on earth. Again, God is different than, other than, he is holy, he is set apart. 
Solomon wants us to take into consideration the dwelling place of God. Residing in heaven is a reminder of God's greatness, his grandeur. And this phrase is meant to remind us of our place. Christian, God is in heaven. Do not treat him like he is your peer. He's not. He is good and he is kind. And yes, the Bible says over and over that Jesus is our elder brother. But he's not to be treated casually like one of our buddies. In comparison to the God who sits enthroned in heavens, we see how small we are. This creator-creature distinction has very practical implications for how we should speak in worship. Uh, John Calvin once said this, he said, Knowing God and knowing ourselves is the sum of all wisdom. Knowing God and knowing ourselves is the sum of all wisdom. We should be very careful of shooting off at the mouth or speaking prayer before we think. We should be ready, aim, fire, not fire, ready, aim. Solomon is teaching us that we need God's word, we need his revelation about who he is and what he's like in order to reverence him properly. That's why we draw near, and we draw near to listen so that we can respond prayerfully in an appropriate manner. Now think about this for a moment here. If you and I were privileged, and this is not a political statement, so don't see it, read it, hear it through your political lens, but if you and I were privileged to bring our needs and our requests to the White House, or to Buckingham Palace for that matter, We would certainly prepare our hearts and our words carefully, and we would exhibit proper behavior. How much more important is is it when we come before the throne of an almighty God? You see, a good question to ask ourselves is this. Are we listening more than we are speaking? Are we listening more than we are speaking? Is what we're listening to informing how we're speaking? Now, hold that in one hand while at the same time, there is a sense of freedom. We're a relationship with the living God of the universe. And how we relate to him, how we speak to him, uh, is not confining. God has directed and ordered how we are to approach him. But there is some freedom in that too. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We just don't have freedom to approach him however we wish. We have freedom to approach him how he has prescribed in his word. Okay? That's a a great place for a shameless plug for a daily quiet time. Where you can meet with the creator of the universe. Are we listening more than we're speaking? In the context of this passage, the fool is the religious person who thinks he has all the answers. You see, fools gush out their own words without listening to God's words. And so Solomon says, don't be rash. Don't be rash. Secondly, from verse 2 and 3 here, under this title, guard your words, Solomon tells us, don't be verbose. Don't be rash, but don't be verbose. Look at the back half of verse 2 there in your Bible. 
concluding in verse 3, Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness, but a fool's voice with many words. A fool's voice with many words. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, when you pray, that's the context of the passage here, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, Jesus says, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. John Bunyan once said in prayer, it's better to have heart without words than words without heart. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. The reality is sometimes a prayer can be prayerless. Just think about that for a moment. The reality is that sometimes a prayer can be prayerless. If all we're doing is just reciting like the parrot disconnected, disengaged heart. It's not worship. It's empty, vain religion. Man, when he or she prays, should not give reins to their tongue and multiply words as one begins to repeat over from which he or she has learned. We need to be careful. We need to be careful in what we say, how many words we use, remembering that God is in heaven and we are on earth. Let me bring it to a conclusion here. Solomon makes an interesting comparison in verse 3. Look at your Bible there. He says, For a dream comes with much business or busyness and a fool's voice with many words. I think a, a clearer translation of this phrase here in the Hebrew is as dreams come when there is overwork. Dreams come when there is overwork, when a person is just striving after gain, which has been a theme in weeks past, right? Working and working and working and gathering and gathering and accumulating and accumulating, all striving after the vanity of gain. Solomon says that person lies down at night and there are many dreams. Because that person has absolutely ground themselves to a pulp. They're worn out. And so Solomon is saying here, it's just as natural for a fool to be verbose or wordy as it is for dreams to come to those who toil or work frantically in search of gain. Solomon wants us to know that we should have hearts that are attentive to God. And hearts that are attentive to God multiply neither toil nor words. Nor words. So Solomon says, guard your steps. Guard your steps. Come to worship prepared. Not thoughtless, not careless. Come to hear. Come ready to listen. And he says, guard your words. Guard your words. Don't be rash. And don't be verbose. Well, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to leave you hanging for the other two points until next week. All right? That'll give us something to look forward to there. I'll give you the other two things that Solomon wants us to be on guard for next week. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for your word. Thank you that there's such clear instruction here. Thousands and thousands of years before the church age ever began, and yet we have clear instruction here on how we are to approach you. Father, I pray that you would be 
working in each of our hearts this morning. I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know Jesus Christ savingly, that you would give them ears to hear and hearts to respond. We know that that is a work that you have to do beforehand. We cannot hear, we cannot respond, we cannot repent unless you first make us alive. And so, Father, I pray if there's any person here this morning who is physically alive but spiritually dead, would you breathe new life in? Would you cause them to become a new creation? Would you bring them to a place of clear repentance and faith in Jesus Christ alone, trusting his grace alone by faith alone? And Father, I pray that as each of us leaves here today uh, and as we uh, journey on into a new week, that as we open your word each day, as we seek to meet with you, that you would give us ears to hear. Help us to drown out all the cultural noise. Help us to set aside all uh, of the, the noise that comes from TV and music and video games and podcasts and every other place uh, that we go to when there is a discontentedness in our heart to just be still and know that you are God. Help us to grow in the discipline of silence and solitude uh, so that we might hear from your word, not, uh, not uh, verbally, not what we think your word says, but just reading your clearly communicated word to, uh, to our hearts and to our minds that it would inform our worship and that we would respond appropriately. Cause these things to be the case for the glory of your son's great name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.